Hey, good evening. So just, um, I'm not going to be giving long talks like I gave last night every night. I don't think it would be in anyone's best interest if I did. Though I know sometimes meditators hope for talks because it's a way of punct uh, punctuating or, or what's the word? Distracting from the practice gives you something new, something maybe to stimulate the brain when you're bored. I don't think that's necessarily the best. It can be good to be stimulated, but it can also be a distraction if you focus too much on words and teachings. So I don't expect you to come up every day to listen to me give talks, but I am going to try to answer questions about meditation. And there'll be general questions that are hopefully applicable to everyone. I'm not going to talk for an hour, I don't think. Well, we'll see. So tonight I, um, while I'm going by the questions that people have asked, and the top question on our site right now is it's unfortunately a question that I've answered many many times uh, but it's a perennial question not even just a perennial question for me it's a perennial question since well many, many years at least. And the best, uh, the, the best answer I've gotten to, sorry, I'll, I'll ask the question, I'll tell you what the topic is. Um, so the topic is on, on the noting practice. And I want to put that in quotes because that's what the actual question asks. It asks about the noting practice, whether the Buddha taught the noting practice or whether it's something that his followers came up with. And I want to put it in quotes, meaning that's not the language I would use to describe what we do. Or I think we should be careful about using that language, the noting practice. It seems to be um, a well, well, me well meant, uh, a part of a, a well-meaning initiative by the Burmese community that, that made this technique popular in modern times to adopt. Western terms, or to try and explain things using in English to explain things using 
I guess somewhat scientific or analytical terms So it's called the noting technique or the noting process Sometimes we talk about acknowledgement Acknowledgement I think is probably worse I can explain why I think it's problematic These aren't bad terms per se Noting anyway isn't bad It just leads to this sort of question How the heck is this related to Buddhism? What the Buddha actually taught And there's ideas that it came out of this Burmese militaristic mindset Of course it came before the military takeover But I don't know the history of Burma There's been a lot of, I think, a history of nationalism and so on I, I don't really know I get a lot of questions about Burma Apparently there's. it seems like there's some wholesome things going on there Surrounding, well... The nationalism, religion, and so on But the problem with, it, with noting, I guess, is It doesn't really capture the The spiritual connection That this technique has with enlightenment Vipassana, and so on Seems very technical, artificial. Artificial, I think, is a big criticism. So but the best answer to this question, sort of this general question about, or questioning of the, the technique that we use, it was given by uh, Lumpo Chodo, this monk uh, in the pictures behind me. Unfortunately, it's given in Thai, so... Most of the world, the Buddhist world, doesn't have access to it. It's also probably wouldn't um, wouldn't convince everyone because it is embedded within Thai culture. It's an answer given to Thai people, but he makes some interesting points. So to step back and answer the the the. Um, the explicit question, and then I'll get into what Lungpo Chodok says about it. But to answer the question, did the Buddha teach? Did the Buddha teach us to say rising, falling, or pain, pain, or so on? And to answer this question, we have to be uh, a little bit clear about Our ability to know what the Buddha taught And the nature of, of what the Buddha taught Because the Buddha seems to have taught From what we seem to be able to know Based on the texts we have present He seems to have taught on a fairly specific level um, And it may be because the texts that have survived are or, or the survival of texts for so long depends upon them being fairly general yeah, So we're talking about the time before things were written down So there was a methodology that was sort of accepted When you're going to 
share things orally they kind of have to be delivered in a certain way you can't be probably too technical the details will get lost so we have very general sort of instruction that doesn't really provide explicit 10 days meditation courses or 21 day meditation course advice I mean they can be very technical but they tend to be more general lists of things uh, principles talking about meditation you talk about the principles of meditation that being said the Buddha did give, give fairly specific principles like you would talk about specific actions and how you should behave but that's see that's very general in in general the Buddha said, Gachanto va gachamiti pajanati. It's fairly specific. He said, when walking, or going, literally means going, when going, one knows fully, I am going. But it's not a phrase, I am going, it's a word, gachami. So it is a single word. For meditation on um, the parts of the body, he said, one reflects thus, ati imas minkaye, there is in this body, kesa loma naka danta tajo mangsang naharu, and so on, through the 32 parts of the body. But each one of those is a part of the body. Kesa is the hair, loma is bodily hair, and so on. But what does it mean? What do you do? What, what, do you... Do you Read that and then try and remember all of them Say, oh yes, in this body and the, the Buddha didn't say what to do Not not explicitly It's not a criticism of the Buddha Even if the, even supposing the texts are exactly Everything, encompassed everything that the Buddha ever taught The fact that the Buddha didn't go into more detail Isn't really a criticism there's an idea that at that time, in those times, people were fairly spiritually advanced, but um, the Buddha also left it up to his followers, even during his time, to come up with meditation techniques. Uh, Yosariputta Moggallana appeared to have meditation techniques that they shared with their students. But if we ask the question, did the Buddha ever teach people to recite words? Did he explicitly say, recite these words? I know there's one example where he did explicitly do that. Um, a, a monk, in the, in the commentaries, so take it with a grain of salt if you want. Uh, he told a monk to take a, a clean cloth and go stand in the hot sun and rub the cloth and say Rajo Haranang, Rajo Haranang Rajo Haranang means uh, taking out taking out the, the dust or the dirt taking out the dirt, like removing the dirt and as he did that in the hot sun Rajo Haranang, Rajo Haranang the sweat and the sort of the dust and, and the bodily fluids or whatever, bodily grease and so on, 
made the cloth soiled. And he saw impermanence, and as a result he said to become enlightened. Now, the reason why the Buddha gave him that specific, I mean, this is a story, so again, take it as you will. The reason he gave that to him was that in a past life, uh, he had seen this. He had been a king, and and he wiped him. He wiped his brow with a cloth, and the cloth got all dust, all soiled. And it just struck him how how nothing is permanent. This clean cloth is now no longer clean. It's it's changed. Seems quite quite mundane to us, but through the practice of meditation, hopefully, you can see how these experiences of impermanence change the way you look at things. And this kind of struck him as as important. It was it became a philosophy, I guess, and stuck with him lifetime after lifetime. Everything's impermanent; nothing lasts. And the Buddha knew this was there, and so he. he anyway, the point of the story, telling the story, is that whether you believe the Buddha actually did that or not, it's a very ancient story. It's at least. Um, what, 1,500, maybe 2,000 years old? At the least, right? I mean, the claim is that it actually comes from the Buddha. But this this technique of using a mantra is very ancient. And I think it's pretty clear that mantra meditation precedes the Buddha. And with good reason. I would say it's probably true that it existed outside of India in other spiritual traditions before the Buddha and after the Buddha and independent of Buddhism. And so I like to refer to the meditation that we do more as mantra meditation than as noting. I know people have taken, uh, taken issue with that as well. Who said no? This isn't what we do. Isn't mantra meditation? Mantra meditation is something different. From a Buddhist perspective, it's really not. Uh, a mantra is a word or a phrase that you repeat to yourself. It's meant to focus your attention, whether that's explicitly stated or not. That's the effect of using a mantra. And so what we have in the, what we're quite sure, are teachings of the Buddha. I'm not talking about commentaries anymore. We have a strong feeling that these are the teachings of the Buddha. It would be kind of strange to think where they came from otherwise. We have these words like, Kachanto wa gachamiti pajanati. Pajanati means he or she or this person knows fully or knows it may be in a special way or strongly, but is strong, special maybe, fully maybe. Knows fully, gachami, I am walking, I am going. And so, in order to accomplish the Buddhist teaching on mindfulness, you have to find a way to achieve that. How do I achieve this state of knowing fully 
in that I'm walking. And if you delve into what it means to know something fully, uh, what it means to use to have sati, according to the Buddhist text, you can see there are some fairly specific characteristics. You have to grasp the object. You have to face it. You, know, you can't wobble or waver from it. Of course, you can't judge it or there can't be anything else involved. How do you get to this clear knowing, clear seeing, what we call vipassana? The Buddha said, kāye kāya nupasi viharati dwells, kāye seeing body as just body. Or you read how the Buddha said, let seeing just be seeing. How do you accomplish that? I'm not giving you an answer, but if we ask this question, I think you know what my my ultimate answer is going to be. But it it gets more obvious as to wh uh, why we do the things we do and why this idea for this practice came up in modern times. It didn't come out of nowhere, it didn't come out of Burma. It, in fact, if it came from anywhere that we can pinpoint to, if, you, if you're not willing to interpret these words as explicitly saying, hey, say to yourself, gachami, gachami, I'm walking, I'm walking, and so on. I mean, really with everything the Buddha said, said these sorts of things. Then it comes from the Visuddhimagga, which is 1500 years old. And sort of the as the accepted orthodox interpretation of the Buddhist teaching, meaning you have these general principles. How do you uh, how do you understand them? How do you explain them? Because anyone, whether they whether they demonize or or cast out the Visuddhimagga as heretic, as wrong, as as not the Buddhist teaching and so on, and say, focus only on the suttas. Then they have to say to us, or we have to say to them, explain the suttas to me. Explain them to me. And that explanation becomes the equivalent of something like the Visuddhimagga. So we have the Visuddhimagga, which is highly respected, highly revered as a really good interpretation, explanation and elaboration of the Buddhist teaching. And so there you find specific meditation techniques that are designed for long-term practice of people who are not able to become enlightened just by listening to the Buddha's words. Now, there were people who, when they heard dite dipta matang they become enlightened. Let seeing just be seeing. Okay. Well, most of us aren't in that category. So for long-term practice to help us ignorant, ignorant people who are steeped and mired in defilement and delusion and ignorance, darkness, to cultivate clear sight, to see things clearly, There you find examples of and explanations of mantra meditation. So, for example, if you're going to do, uh, 
you're going to do samatha meditation, you certain types of meditation to just tranquilize the mind, you would focus on a disk of earth and you try to conceive of earth in your mind and in order to do that you would have to say to yourself earth, earth, earth and it explicitly tells you to do that this is where you see this explicit saying to yourself earth, earth, earth and remember the parts of the body that I mentioned it explicitly tells you to say to yourself tadjo, tadjo or kesa, 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 kesa Repeating to yourself, hair, 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 and so on. And that's a that's a well-established meditation technique in Buddhist societies. When a monk ordains, uh, in Sri Lanka they do it as they're cutting the hair, but in Thailand after they've put on the, the novice robes, the preceptor will teach them the, what's called the Tajapanchaka Kamatana, the first five of these, Kesa, Loma, Naka, Danta, Tajo. First five parts of the body, it's their first kamatana, their first meditation. And they have to repeat kesa, kesa, loma, loma, nakha, tanta, tajo, and so on. And then backwards. And they have to be able to say it forward and backwards because that's their mantra. And my teacher says, once you've learned this, you can actually just put it aside and move on to vipassana, that's fine. But uh, it's a good thing to, to point out that this is meditation. This is how meditation works. If you're not going to use these words, how are you going to cultivate the focus? How are you going to focus on the object? And so you hear a lot of meditation that doesn't use these sorts of words, where the meditator is instructed to move the mind in various ways. So one example is, when you're distracted, bring the mind back to the breath. For example, if your object is the breath, if you get distracted by something, bring the mind back to the breath. Nowhere that I can think of in the Satipatthana Sutta does it instruct you in that sort of way. But if you're not using a word, if your your practice is not reminding yourself, I'll get to why that word is important, it's an important word. If your practice is not reminding yourself, pain, pain, and so on. Then there's some, there, there has to be some other activity that you're using in order to somehow keep your mind focused on something. Right? With mindfulness, it's not a problem. If you get distracted by something, what do you do? You note it. You, you, you have a mantra for it. Simple. You don't bring the mind back to the, the, the main object. There really isn't a main object. Note it. Mindful of it. That's your object. Why? Because that's where the mind is. And if you read the Satipatthana Sutta, it's much more in line with that sort of idea. People talk about just knowing. And so I'm often asked, if you, why, why do we use the noting, the word? Can't we, isn't enough, it enough to just know the object? And um, I don't know. In some instances, maybe. But you have to explain to me how it is that you ensure that the knowing that you have in that moment is different from ordinary knowing. Because one thing that 
Lumpo Chodok makes quite clear, and, and it's actually, he takes it from the commentary to the Satipatthana Sutta. It asks, um, what's different about this knowing? What's different about the knowing when you're mindful? It's different because it's ordinary knowing, even dogs, even animals have ordinary knowing. Uh, and how do you ensure, how, how do you explain to me that your knowing is different from this ordinary knowing? So when the Buddha said, gachantovagachamitibhajanati, well, I know I'm walking, right? And if you say, well, okay, I'm going to make special effort to know that I'm walking without maybe any judgment or to know clearly or to feel, fulfill all these qualities of mindfulness, of sati, It's really hard to be sure that you're going to accomplish that. I mean, all the pieces quite fit quite well together. I've given this talk to Thai people, to English people again and again and again, and I can fit all the pieces together. I think the evidence is quite conclusive. Um, it doesn't answer the question of whether the Buddha explicitly taught this, but it it reduces sort of this sense that it's far-fetched, like... That's not, I don't think that's what the Buddha taught. Number one, mantra meditation was around before the Buddha. Mantra meditation has always been probably the most well-known form of meditation. Why? Because a word is a very useful tool. Number two, the words of the Buddha himself. He said things like, One knows I am walking. And so on. Uh, noting... Sometimes a word, sometimes a short phrase, like there is pain, there there is anger in the mind, for example, or this mind is an anger mind, and so on. Um, modern psychology, of course, is based on this idea, not based, but in modern, sorry, therapy, psychotherapy, maybe, I don't know, can't keep them all straight, but modern therapy is is quite um, cognizant of the fact or well aware of the fact that re acknowledging recognizing your feelings is central to being able to work them to work through them it's not about fixing them or even about delving into the past so much as it is as it is about recognizing this is what i'm feeling now, for a long time it's been this way, getting, med getting patients to say to themselves, I am angry with my parents, I am afraid of this. Yeah. A third um, piece of the puzzle that I think is very important is this, again, this technical description that comes from the early texts of what it means to be mindful. What does sati mean? And the, the problem, of course, is we come up with this translation, mindfulness, that isn't a translation. Reminding yourself is probably a much better sort of translation. I mean, sati seems to be very much the, the active thing that we do. It's different from all the other qualities of mind that somehow sort of come along with the practice. Sati seems to be something that we actively do. When we say to ourselves, uh, when we are 
when we know clearly I am walking, that seems to be an act, something that we do. Not trying to move our mind here or move it there, pull it back, bring it back. Recognize something as it is. This act of reminding yourself. And I think the, the most um, telling for me part of that definition of what mindfulness means is the proximate cause. So we acknowledge in Abhidhamma that sati is a, is a quality of mind. It's something you want to have. So how do you give rise to it? What gives rise to this quality of grasping an object fully, you know, so not wavering and not getting into a tangent of, oh, it's nice, or oh, it's bad, or me, or mine, or so on. No, it's seeing. How do you get that state where the mind sees the object and grasps it just as it is? The proximate cause of mindfulness is something called tira sanya. Tira means strong, firm. Sanya, sanya is recognition. When you recognize uh, some, this is a cat or this is a dog or so on, you hear a dog bark and you write, that's a dog, that's sanya. And how it works is you, uh, sanya works, memory, for example, works by comparing things to other things. Right. So you hear a dog bark, it's similar to something you've seen, heard before that you identify as a dog barking. So you say, that's a dog marking, and that's how the mind works, it compares things. It's about recognition. And so the the strong recognition, and you might then say, well, what is this strong recognition? Probably means strengthening your recognition, right? Augmenting it, right? Because again, we're thinking of meditation, which is not just sitting there with your eyes closed. Gamatana, the Buddha called it, or that's... In ancient text, in the Buddhist text, anyway, it's called kamatana. Kamma means action, so it's something. It's it's effort. The Buddha all constantly talking about striving and effort. So it would be the 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 building up this strong recognition. And tell me, how do you re how do you create strong recognition? How would you do it? Would you say, hmm, well, if you're in the time of the Buddha and you say, well, there are these people using mantras, but that's probably not what we should do. We should think of some other way of doing things. I don't think, I, I don't think it's far-fetched. I mean, it seems quite clear that this is a sort of mantra-type meditation where you remind yourself. What does sati mean? It means to remember. What is tirasanya? To recognize. To, to have a, f a strong recognition of something And if these aren't the definition of a mantra meditation I don't know how you would define it Or what, what it could be the definition of All of that being said Of course some people are saying Well, the most important thing actually isn't Whether the Buddha taught this, right? The most important thing is whether it leads to Nibbana Whether it leads to insight I think it's important to maybe redefine the word insight because there's often this uh, 
There's often this idea that you have to have some penetrating sort of deep, profound realizations. I mean, it's not that that's not quite true, but it, we get this sense of it being something intellectual and something detailed. Insight's probably not the best translation for vipassana. Vi means clearly. In Thai, that's how they translate. They say jang. Jang means clearly. And that seems so much more in tune with the sorts of things that Buddha said. Talking about darkness, the darkness of ignorance and the light of wisdom and Of seeing things as they are, yata Buddha, just as they are. Like when the Buddha said, "Don't go back to the past. Don't worry about the future, or don't yeah, don't doubt about the future. Whatever comes up in the present, but pachupanancha yodhamang, whatever arises in front of you, tata tata vipassati." So he doesn't say. Be insightful about that, right? He says, see it clearly. Vipassati means to see something with vi, whatever vi means. Vi could mean different things in different contexts. It's a prefix that means different things. But how would you translate this? As see things insightfully or see things penetratively or something? Sort of. I mean, those aren't bad. They're, they're just, I think, not the best. And why that's important for this question is uh, because the idea behind reminding yourself pain is pain, seeing is seeing is that it helps you see it more clearly or let's not even say more clearly because that gives the idea that it's some kind of uh, penetrating thing, right? No, it, honestly, you're just supposed to see the thing as it is and then dismiss it because the problem the problem is not really that we don't see things it's that we have baggage. When you see something, you you judge it. We aren't able to stay with seeing just as seeing, hearing just as hearing. So this tira sanya, this strong recognition, when you remind yourself pain, pain, or seeing, seeing, it keeps the mind fixed and focused on the object. That's important because it takes away all this distraction. You see something, oh, that's nice, I should try and get that. Or that's scary, I should run away from it. That's me, that's mine. I want that to be mine. So on. And it's the, the removal of all of that stuff that allows you to see what's actually going on allows you to see impermanent suffering and non-self not because you use a magnifying glass and you say oh look there's impermanence oh yes I see it's this part of that experience no experiences are impermanent it's not even that deep of a teaching it's just that we're so covered up with such crap that we can't see what's right in front of us if I explain to you you know Experiences are impermanent. Seeing is, it only lasts a moment. I could tell someone on the street that and they would say, yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh, did I enlighten them? No. Why? Because they're covered over in garbage. When they see, 
They don't just see. They see and they like and they dislike or they judge or they think about. Like all of us. If you remove all of that, all that's left is impermanent suffering and non-self. It's, it's just what's left. There's nothing about the experiences that is attractive or worth getting caught up in. It just is impermanent. Because it's impermanent, it's not any of those things you think it is. Being satisfying, being me, being mine. And it allows you to let go. Lumpo Jodok, um, he says many things. I'm not going to go into them at all, all, I don't think. I think I'll just focus on a couple of them. He says that the alternative, just knowing, just being aware. Well, first he says, never give up the noting. This idea, and I won't go into that, but there's actually, and even in the Mahasi technique, there are people who will listen to what I'm saying and say, he's wrong. My, my Mahasi Sayada technique teacher says, Give up the noting. There are even books that try to make Mahasi Sayada say such thing that I've refuted. I, I believe are, are poorly translated, that there have been insertions, uh, that they... I might as well go into it. There's this idea that um, in the beginning, your mind is only focused on concepts. And that's really what the Burmese says. The, Buddha, the Mahasi Sayada says... People are concerned that using the, no, the mantra, I'm going to use the word mantra here, using a word focuses your mind only on concepts. That might not be exactly what he says, but he says something, some aspect of our practice means we're only going to be focused on concepts. And he says, and this is from, as far as I know, from the original Burmese, uh, in the beginning, it may be true that the meditator's mind focuses on concepts, but eventually the concepts drop away, and all that are left is ultimate reality. There's nothing controversial there. I agree with it. I think that's absolutely... sounds like something Mahasi Sayada would say. The translation of it, of course, is um, in, in various places... It may be true that in the beginning you use the words, but eventually the words drop away and all that is left is ultimate reality. And as a result, there's a tradition that believes, and for other reasons, apparently there are Burmese teachers who also tell you not to use the noting. Um, so anyway, Lumpo, I, that's not that's a side point. I don't think I think that's only interesting to people who are. Deep in the tradition already. Uh, Lumpo Jodok says, never give up the noting. And his reason why I think is useful and interesting. He says something you don't hear that often. He talks about something called the Jnana Gatika Dhammas. I haven't been able to find these anywhere else. I don't know where he got them from. Maybe some commentary that I haven't found, but I've searched, can't find this word. But he said there are three jnana gatika dhammas, or jnana gati dhamma, maybe he calls them. And these are, he says, are ditti, mana, and tanha. And these are really the three ways that we cling to something. But but here he refers to them as so ditti is view. You can you can hold on to something like this is myself. Uh, mana 
You can say I am th you reverse it and say I am this, you know, I'm good, I'm bad, I'm so on. Tanha that's that's conceit and the third one tanha is craving. This is mine. They're associated with sort of the mine kind of things. But he talks about he calls these jnana gati dhamma, gatika dhamma, meaning he explains it as dhammas that pretend to be or masquerade as uh, jnana, as wisdom. So he says that uh, diti knows very well, views know very well. You can experience something and have a view about it and there's really good knowledge. He says nothing knows better than diti, he says. And so it, it, it masquerades as true knowledge. You can't see impermanent suffering and non-self, but you you surely know that object very, very well. Yes, this is the stomach rising, this is the stomach falling. With diti, the idea that it uh, it is something, what it is, and so on, it being a thing, or you can give rise to all sorts of views. Conceit, conceit, I guess, knows well as well. My conceit in regards to, say, the rising and falling would be saying how good it is and how good you are and, or how bad you are at this and how bad your meditation practice is or so on. But, but no, I mean, conceit here in, in, in terms of the self is the idea that the rising and falling is, is, is me. Is self right? Is is under control? That sort of thing. And uh, tanha is the liking and the disliking. He says all these things you can't cut. It's an important claim because people will dispute it. But he makes this claim that you can't cut them without the noting. I think it's probably a too strong a statement because I think, depending on your level of of you know, if someone is very, very powerful, they may not have to use a word to straighten their mind out because they've already they're already at a very high spiritual state. But it's not a very good technique to just try and know things. So the question I often ask people is, why not use the noting? And the, the problems people have with the noting are often related to the idea that it takes you away from the object. It doesn't allow you to see the details of the object. It's another important criticism. It doesn't really stand, again, based on what I've been saying, but the Buddha, even even more, you know, because talking about just seeing things just as they are, how, how often the Buddha said that. But repeatedly, not just in one place, in many places, the Buddha explicitly said, Nanimita gahi nanubyanjana gahi that we explicitly don't want to know, don't want to grasp. Gahi means grasping, one who grasps. Uh, the signs, nimita means what makes it a concept like a dog or so on. And the particulars, anubyanjana, the details. We explicitly one should not be such a person who grasps those things. 
repeatedly in regards to meditation. The Buddha said this sort of this this exact phrase. So I, I've said to people, they've said, you know, I feel like the noting is stopping me from really getting into close to the object. Said, That's the point. <laughs> yes. Well, good. It's doing its job. We don't want to. We're not concerned with the details of experience. Uh, the qualities, the factors, is this sort of thing. Let seeing just be seeing. Keep yourself at just a basic, real level of what it is. Things are simple. There's nothing behind experience. Experience is what it is. Mahasi Sayada, someone found real, I don't know, I assume it's real, but found something where the Mahasi Sayada was actually asked this question. Can you not just not use this word? And he said, sure you can, but how do we know? I'm paraphrasing. I mean, I, I didn't quite say it like this, but I think he probably should have. How do we know that you're actually being uh, mindful? How do we know that you're actually seeing things as they are. What he said is that a teacher, it's hard for a teacher to know uh, whether you're actually being mindful. If if you're using the noting, the, the, the mantra, then we know that you're focused on the object. Then we know that you have an objective awareness of the object. Otherwise, what are you going to tell me? Yes, I, I'm, I'm aware of it, right? Well, dogs are aware of it. How is your state of awareness different? How is it that your state of awareness is objective? How do you create this objectivity that's free from diti, mana, tanha? Because these are very subtle states. Views, conceit, craving. So the question, why, why not use the noting? Is, I think quite pertinent. Uh, I think another part of the problem is it isn't very comfortable. But that's exactly the, the, the point. Remember we're talking about the Four Noble Truths. The Buddha said, see suffering clearly, fully, fully. See suffering fully. Yeah, meditation is going to be difficult. You have to face suffering in the eye until it blinks. The only way to be free from suffering is not to run away or to fix your problems. It's to stop reacting to your problems as being problems it's the only way because you can't always escape you can't be sure you'll be free so noting is saying reaffirming it is what it is it's what it's not doing is reacting or running away or trying to change or trying to fix It's saying, I'm not going to blink. I'm not phased. Anyway, I talked a lot longer than I thought I would, but that tends to be the case. So that's all for tonight. Thank you all for listening.